I begin this week with a tragic story that rocked the nation over the weekend, another senseless and preventable incident that never should have happened. Let's go to the video. Joe Biden on his bicycle, one foot down, other foot, oh no, he's fallen over. Now when, uh, when are we going to enact common sense bike reform to curb this mindless violence? When will we finally do something? Without government regulation of these death peddlers, who knows how many accidents we could see. If you don't believe me, I'll let the stats speak for themselves. How many bicycle-related injuries were there in 2020? Give up? Over 300,000. And deaths? 1,260. All that death, while only 455 people died from rifles in the same year. Why would the left and the media in our country lose their minds over one and not the other? We may never know. Luckily, I'm here with some solutions to prevent the ongoing bike apocalypse. Like, for example, age limits. No more bicycling for people 79 and over. We have age limits for all sorts of things, drinking and voting and driving, but not for riding bikes. Perhaps you can still pull it off at 70 or 75 or even 78, but definitely not 79, as is apparent in this video. Let's put one foot down. The other one is very easy. It's called balance. Oh, no, here he goes. He tipped over again. Red flag laws. How about that? If someone who is old and decrepit and obviously not mentally or physically able to live life without intensive medical care begins to act suspiciously, what do you do? Maybe they're posting a picture on social media of a bicycle. Or maybe a family member intercepted a goofy helmet from Amazon. Authorities should be able to step in and take their bikes without due process for their own well-being and all of ours as well. We, we have to do something, guys. If we can't step in and take these bikes, terrible things could happen. Like, you know, this. Oh, there you go. And here comes, oh no, please don't fall again. Oh, it's getting sad. Oh no, oh no, there he goes, all the way to the ground. Bicycle lock requirements. How about that? All bikes must be stored in a locked garage with each wheel disconnected and kept in a separate area of the house. What if someone like Joe Biden stumbles upon an unprotected bike in your driveway? I'll tell you what happens. Yeah, Joe, in the middle of a crosswalk on the street, by the way. Oh, no. Oh, gosh, Humpty Dumpty fell down again. Look, this is all common sense, okay? Increase the number of wheels on bicycles. How about that? Training wheels exist for a reason, people. The more wheels on a bicycle, the safer it is. That's just science. I mean, imagine the safety of four wheels or six or more. Do you think a bike that is also an 18-wheeler would ever tip over? No. Think of the safety of the beersicle, mm -hmm. where people sit on stools and pedal a vehicle around some shady downtown while getting drunk and probably having a bachelorette party. I've never heard of anything terrible happening on one of those. Never! They have like nine seats of pedals and only four wheels. And you know what happens when they stop? Nothing. They stay upright like they're supposed to. What happens when a bicycle stops? This! <laughs> oh, don't, don't fall again, Joe. Just stand up this time. Oh, no, he fell again. And how about abolishing big bicycle? Who is Schwinn, anyway? Who's Huffy? We don't even know who these people are. 
and they're murdering our elderly and incontinent leaders all over the country. And here's the thing, last time I checked, bicycles, unlike firearms, are not protected by the Constitution, so we can do whatever the hell we want to these people. Let's come together, America. Let's outlaw everything that could ever be potentially dangerous in any way. Otherwise, we'll have to be forced to deal with the carnage like this on an unprecedented level. How can we fail to act when even the President of the United States isn't safe? Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. Do it right now. Just do it. Use the promo code Stu. Save 10 bucks. Maddie Kearns is on today to talk to us about the world swimming's newest transgender rules. I'm very interested to hear about this. Hank from Breaking Bad has some stunning insight on gas prices and capitalism. But we start by doing the SCOTUS countdown. Yes, here we are. We're in the, the stretch run, boys and girls. Tomorrow, we're going to get a bunch of uh, decisions from the Supreme Court. At least that's what we expect. Here's the best thing about the Supreme Court when you're trying to do news. Well, it's a couple things. Number one, you never know what's going to happen at any given time. They tell you these guidelines, and then they change them all the time. There doesn't seem to be any hard and fast rules. There's just a bunch of traditions that you try to understand and monitor. It's really, really difficult to understand what's coming next. No one ever seems to know. And the second best part of this is every one of these big decisions always breaks right in the middle of the radio show. So, if you want to be listening to a radio show tomorrow, let, my, let, let me recommend the Glenn Beck program, as I will be sitting there furiously trying to understand what the hell is going on in real time. It's a lot of fun. Glenn, he's blah, 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 talking about God knows what. And then I have to sit here and try to decipher Supreme Court rulings as they come down in real time. It makes it interesting, I will tell you. You know, we've talked about this before, but the Obamacare decision, when that came down, everybody was reporting that Obamacare was overturned. And I kept reading it and thinking, I don't think it's been overturned. I don't understand where they're getting this from. And I honestly, at the, at the time, felt like a bit of an idiot. But luckily, at the end, it was actually correct. Uh, we will see if that happens again tomorrow. Probably the next one, I'll just screw it up. But it'll be interesting to see if you're listening to the radio show in real time. Now... The way this works over the next couple weeks is like this, in theory. Tomorrow and Wednesday, we should get decisions from the Supreme Court. There are, I believe, 18 cases remaining, 18 outstanding cases from the docket still remain. We had some decisions last week. They were mainly boring ones. It wasn't any of the high-profile stuff. Now, they might have been interesting to the people involved. Maybe it's interesting uh, at certain parts of the law and, and intricate parts of the law. There's definitely some weird pairings where Neil, Neil Gorsuch seemed to be voting uh, as you might not expect him to. Uh, you, had, uh, you had Sotomayor on the other side of another one. There were some 9-0 decisions. There was a lot of interesting stuff, but nothing with the marquee value of the big cases that people are talking about generally. You'll get the, some tomorrow because today's Juneteenth. So they, normally you'd get some today, but today's Juneteenth, so you don't get anything today. You get it tomorrow, and you get it Wednesday. And then next week, assuming they still have some left, they don't blow them all over the next couple of days, which they shouldn't. Uh, you'll get some Monday and Wednesday, I believe, of next week. And then there's always the surprise day. You never know when the surprise day is coming. Some days they'll just be like, you know what? We're going to do some right now. Who knows? We don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to watch it very closely. I want to give you a quick preview of some of the big ones. Now, we know about uh, Dobbs versus Jackson's women, Jackson Women's Health Organization. This is 
the big abortion case, uh, whether all pre-viability prohibitions on elective abortions are unconstitutional. And that's kind of like, uh, really, it's, it's, a, it's really a case on a law that's a little more specific than that. The law in Mississippi was 15 weeks, uh, an, uh, an abortion um, restriction after 15 weeks, which has been, you know, when states have tried this over the past couple decades, these have been overturned in lower courts over and over and over and over again. And now they're trying to run the flagpole, run, run this up the flagpole again to see if the Supreme Court will rule on it uh, in the favor of the conservative side. Of course, the side that I believe is correct, and there's a good chance you probably do too. Uh, will Roe versus Wade be overturned? Because it's not just this 15-week rule, it's really the whole thing. Uh, this is the biggest case that we're we're going to see probably in a long time. And this is one that pro-life activists have really everything uh, wrapped up in. Because if this were to be, if, this were, if they did not overturn Roe versus Wade here, it would be tough to see a path to it. I mean, you're not going to, you're probably not going to do better uh, than having six Supreme Court justices named by one party or the other. And uh, yes, we know Roberts isn't exactly dependable, but if, if some of these picks were blown by Republican presidents, which they often are, we may never get another chance uh, to see this thing really overturned. Now, overturning uh, Roe versus Wade is a small part of this journey. It really is. I mean, it will feel like this massive victory, and in some ways it really is. It'll allow states to pass sensible laws against abortion and ban it if they deem it deem fit. Though, I don't know if there's any states that will fully ban it. There'll probably be exceptions in every single state uh, in the union. Um, but there'll be minor exceptions. It'll be very difficult to get an abortion. You'd have to travel for it. I and mean, you'd have to take one of those abortion vacations. Uh, abortion I don't know if that's a thing, but I think it's going to be a new industry very, very soon. Lots of uh, charitable organizations are already stepping up saying they're going to do this and help people go across state lines to get abortions. You could also get pills shipped in uh, from all over the world right now. So... Is this going to stop abortion? No. The, the battle is longer term than that, and it's going to be you and I and anybody who's pro-life fighting very hard to try to convince people uh, that this is not the right way to go. You know, if you kind of look at it uh, in a parallel way, and we'll get to this here in just a second, but the Second Amendment is an interesting part of this. There's a Supreme Court case as well on the Second Amendment. Um, uh, let's see, where are we here? Yeah, here it is. Um, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. Uh, this is uh, the big case uh, that's going on the Second Amendment, whether the state's denial of petitioners' ap applications for concealed carry licenses for self-defense violated the Second Amendment. Um, and before I get into the details on that one, think of the parallels here with the Second Amendment. It, this would be, if Roe versus Wade being overturned, in a way, is like the Second Amendment being repealed. And you might think, holy crap, that's a big deal. Why are you downplaying that? Well, think about this from the perspective of a, a pro-gun control person. Okay, we got the Second Amendment repealed. Well, what does that mean? Well, then states can now do what they want to do, right? So states can step in, and states like Texas are going to step up and say, you have a fundamental right for, to a firearm. And so those guns will still be out there, and that'll still be going on. Um, there will be, the, you can try to pass a federal restriction on firearms. Going to be really hard for you to do that. If you get it through the House and you get it through the Senate and you get it through the presidency, it's going to be challenged a million different ways and maybe you survive all those challenges. And uh, then you're at the point where you've taken, you've probably added 
100 million guns to the streets because everyone's freaked out about this now. So they're all going to go get their guns now. So now you've got a country with, let's say, 500 million guns. And now you've got to figure out how to get rid of all of them. How's that going to go? It's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to be lining up for that job, going door to door, asking people to give them give your guns back. How's that going to work? And of course, if that does happen, you're going to have a lot of feder- you're going to get probably some percentage of them back nice and easy, maybe in a buyback uh, format or something. Um, and if you do that, um, that'll take, let's say, 100 million guns off the street. Now there's 400 million left. Then what? You're going door to door with armed agents to take people's guns. How much gun violence are you going to get out of that situation? Is that going to be a nice, clean one? Probably not. So anyway, the same thing kind of exists here. You can overturn Roe versus Wade, but all of the some states are going to put it in their constitution that it's guaranteed. Some states are going to work hard to make sure they can get travel to that state so they can get an abortion. There are going to be organizations that step up and pay for that travel and ship in pills all over the country. It's going to be about the conversation afterward. It's going to be about changing people's uh, hearts and minds on the issue of abortion. That's really what's going to make the difference here. But we'll see how that plays out uh, over time. Um, The New York State Rifle and Pistol Association case is an interesting one in that basically, do you have the right to take your gun out of your house? The Heller case, which was back in what, 2008, 2009 in there, um, was about whether you could have a gun in your home to protect your home. Uh, It also did lock in that thing that had been locked in at the very beginning, your individual right uh, to, to bear arms. But it kind of codified that in the court. This, this would tend to do the same with uh, being able to carry your gun around, which, I mean, I don't think there's honestly any question constitutionally or what the founders intended. They wanted this to happen. Uh, so hopefully the, the uh, Supreme Court will come down on the right side of that. Those two cases are really big deals, really big issues. But there's a bunch of other ones as well. Um, we also have uh, religious freedom. Um, there's one case in um, Maine where they have uh, they have excluded some religious schools from a tuition assistance program. Uh, you know, I don't see how that doesn't violate equal protection, but they're going to try to argue that that's Carson versus Macon, uh, whether a state violates the religious religion clauses or equal protection clause of the United States Constitution by prohibiting students participating in an otherwise generally available student aid program from choosing to use their aid to attend schools that provide religious or sectarian instruction. Then you have uh, Kennedy versus Bremerton. Now, Bremerton is the case we've talked about a bunch of times mainly because we had the coach on the show. I mean, Coach Kennedy came on the show. We talked to him at length about what he went through, what he wound up doing. He was, did a very innocuous thing, praying at, uh, at the 50-yard line after games by himself. But the, uh, the accusation is this coach just had so much influence and was trying, you know, uh, people saw him do it, and they might be convinced to try to pray too because they saw their coach doing it, and they, they might feel pressured into doing so. Now, they have not found one example of one child who even claims they were pressured into doing this, but that's a totally different story, apparently. Uh, you also have Biden versus Texas. I mean, any battle between Biden versus Texas. Did you see him falling down on his bike? How do you think this thing's going to turn out? Um, actually, this one's about uh, immigration and really more about Trump than anything else. It's the remain in Mexico policy. That one going back and forth. And, you know, you remember the Remain in Mexico uh, policy. Of course, Biden wants to repeal it, get get rid of that uh, policy that Trump had put in. 
the lower courts have actually sided with Trump on this, so Biden's trying to get them to overturn that. Uh, the West Virginia versus EPA is one that I don't think anybody is really talking about all that much, but it is a massive, massive decision. In fact, there was a big complainy article in the New York Times yesterday about this. Apparently, there's been this long-term strategy mm-hmm, for conservatives to uh, promote conservative judges and then bring cases in front of these conservative judges to, uh, to try to get change in the legal realm. And this is, of course, presented as this massive conspiracy when it's just how our system works. Like, I, of course, like, you know, the idea that, you know, some politician, a Republican politician, appoints a, a Supreme Court justice when they're president. And then later on, the same organizations who supported that candidate are now pushing to try to get their legislation through just tells you that they're morally consistent. That's all it does. The same thing. It would tell you the same thing about the left, by the way. And of course, this is the same thing the left does. When the left was winning every Supreme Court case, no one cared about this stuff. This is how you do it, right? You try to get a president. You may have voted. I mean, I know tons of people who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 specifically for the Supreme Court. Really, the only reason they voted for him was the Supreme Court, because at least he was promising that he would, uh, he would put in some uh, constitutionally aware judges. Uh, and we've seen that happen uh, with, uh, with Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh and uh, Neil Gorsuch. Now, how all three of those will play out is still a big question mark, but that was the attempt, at least, by Donald Trump. He took three people uh, off of uh, relatively conservative lists in most cases. Long story short, the left really wants this to stop happening because what could happen here is that the administrative state might not have as much power as they want it to. And wouldn't that just be the worst thing possible? The worst thing possible. That maybe Congress should be making the rules when it comes to uh, regulation of what they, you know, what they're worried about with climate change, particularly in this case when it comes to power plants. Now, power plants, if you wanted to address uh, CO2 emissions, would be the place to start. You can make the biggest damage there, the biggest part of our economy. Cars have always been a dumb place to worry about climate change. It's only about 20% of our emissions. We're only about, uh, you know, 20% of global emissions. So when you talk about that, Wiping out the entire transportation sector only wipes out about 4% of global emissions. It's never been a real uh, sensible target in any uh, particular, uh, at any particular time. But now they're going after, they're trying to manipulate these power plants and regulate these power plants through things like the EPA, instead of going through and passing a law saying X, Y, and Z needs to happen. Because these people in Pennsylvania uh, don't, you know, and, and, and in other states, don't want uh, to have that on a record, that they're killing all these jobs and they're making your, their electricity prices go up. It was just the EPA. They did it to us. We couldn't do anything. So sorry. So sorry. Well, the effort here is to make sure that, you know, these things that are supposed to be done by Congress are actually done by Congress. Congress likes to pass laws that say, we hereby pass a law that says we don't have to do anything about this topic. And we're to have that guy make all the decisions. That's their favorite thing to do in Congress. They don't want to have any of the responsibility and they don't want to do any of the work. So they do this. They pass it on to these agencies who are filled with unelected bureaucrats who pass all these things that we don't want. Well, this is going to try to stop that. And I think it's, a, it's part of a longer term plan to hopefully take the teeth out of the uh, administrative state to a level where it, it, it at least resembles what the country's supposed to be. All of this is going on over the next couple of weeks. It's going to be I mean, it's going to be intense. And I don't know. I mean, all of these cases are important. 
the abortion one rises to a level that uh, is going to potentially be disruptive to everybody's life. And I don't mean because I gotta get my abortion tomorrow. I mean because there are already organizations. We did a, sto- a, sh- a show last week called Stu Does Jane's Revenge that told you the story of one of these organizations that's threatening to, I would say, burn down cities, but they actually say it's not gonna be as clean uh, as something like uh, a fire. They're gonna go farther than that. They are threatening legitimate, thinly, thinly veiled violence and property damage all over the country if this goes the opposite way that they want. Because, you know, we all have incredible passion to make sure babies, whatever the cause, do not remain alive. So all that's going on over the Supreme Court. We're gonna be watching that closely. We'll have experts on as well to kind of discuss it. Uh, we, as we mentioned, we've, you know, we're, we've been talking to a bunch of these guys, legal experts off the air as well, uh, about a lot of these religious freedom cases and many other parts of this as well. So we'll get you all that coverage as these cases come out and be, be, uh, be sure to, to watch the radio show or listen to the radio show as, uh, as these decisions come out, we'll cover them live and you can watch me struggle to understand what the hell is going on. Back in a second. So if you're buying or selling a home, you know you need someone that you can trust. That's kind of the thing with almost every business, isn't it? You, know, you want to, if, imagine if you had like a car dealers I could trust.com and you could go there and you could find the best person at a car dealership that's going to give you the most sensible deal. That would be fantastic. Unfortunately, as far as I know, that does not exist. Every car dealer is completely, completely kind and understanding of all of your needs at all times. Uh, look, a lot of them are, but not all of them are, and that's why you need to have a separation. Realestateagentsitrust.com is, is the effort to do that with real estate agents because you can find a great real estate agent that can really help your buying or your selling of a home. You can also get a crappy one. That's going to ruin the process, and you're going to be complaining about it for years and years and years, like Glenn was. He was complaining about it for years and years and years and years, and he decided to do something about it, and that's when he decided to build realestateagentsitrust.com for you to make sure you can have the best deal possible, whether you're buying or selling a home. Make sure to check it out, realestateagentsitrust.com. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. I'm happy to welcome Madeline Kearns back to the program. She's a staff writer for National Review, a contributor to The Spectator, and a visiting fellow for the Independent Women's Forum. Madeline, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for coming back on. Uh, you guys have a big event coming up on Thursday. As it, do, has, it has to do with the 50th anniversary of Title IX. Can you talk, tell us about it, and why is it important? Sure, yeah. So Title IX was obviously passed in 1972 and it compelled the federal government, any any educational institution receiving federal money to uh, not discriminate on the basis of sex. Now, of course, we're having this national debate just now about whether the definition of sex ought to include this new concept of gender identity. And we at the Independent Women's Forum think that it should not. And so we're making our voices heard. Um, it's obviously, of, of course, also Women's Sporting Week as well. So sports is the big issue where should we be including biological males in female sports? We think not. <laughs> so where do people go to get involved if they want to participate in this? Yeah, so if you follow us on Twitter, we'll be making regular posts um, and you can you can get involved in, in everything there. Yeah, That's great. Um, the sports is an interesting part of this because it's like, you know, it's the thing I think that hits parents in the face most, right? Like they're trying to, they're seeing their daughters out there trying to compete. They see these things uh, going on 
And they feel really offended by this because they want their daughter to, to be able to have the ability to, to have a fair competition when it comes to sports as part of childhood. Um, and, and, and it's interesting because I think sports has been sort of the headline of this, but it's not necessarily the most important part of it. It's just maybe a, uh, the most forward-facing part. Am, am I thinking about that right? I think you're right. I think it's it's the one that's most obvious to people because it's as you say they have they have daughters. They uh, they are seeing this issue in their schools. They're seeing this issue. Obviously, the NCAA uh, swimming controversy with Leah Thomas, the male swimmer, caused huge um, national scandal, international scandal. So I think you're absolutely right. This is definitely the issue that's on the forefront of people's minds when they think of transgenderism. It is interesting though. Um, I thought it was so the um, FINA the world governing swimming organization came out saying they were going to not allow uh, males into female swimming. Um, one caveat, however, was for those who began uh, their transition before puberty. And obviously this introduces another big issue with the transgender phenomenon, which is transitioning children. And we don't want to be encouraging that. So that's bringing in another controversy as well as sports. But you're right that sports is the one that people see first. Yeah, you know, I thought that that was really fascinating the way they they tried to walk this line with the swimming restrictions in that like as as someone who if you if what you care about is the sport itself you could see there being some sense to this in that okay well they want to if someone transitioned before that maybe they don't get the full benefit of puberty therefore they don't get the greater advantage in the sport and therefore it's okay but when you look at it from a larger perspective, it almost seems like it could incentivize some families that are on the borderline of making this decision to rush it earlier because they're worried about what could happen with a sports career down the line. I mean, that's a crazy way to parent, in my view, but it certainly seems like the incentives might be there. Yeah, I, I mean, there's no such thing as a transgender child, of course, because transgenderism is such an such an adult concept, such an adult ideology that really, when you see small children transitioning, it's much more to do with the parents and much more to do with their beliefs being projected onto the child. And you're absolutely right that that could include a range of motives, and in, including sports. And so we want to avoid incentivizing that. It is true, of course, that the the main uh, advantage in a uh, physiological advantage is conferred on males during puberty. So maybe there's something to be said for, um, for, for stopping someone's puberty purely on that basis. But of course that introduces other ethical problems. It reminds me of how um, in previous centuries we had eunuchs, men, young boys who were very promising singers who were castrated, uh, literally castrated so that they could sing high and be operatic stars. Well, okay, they managed to sing great, but it still wasn't ethical. Yeah, no, I think we can look back at that one and say, not a good decision. Uh, that's just that's just me speaking. That's the total opinion at that point. Um, it's interesting, because the 12-year-old line is such a fascinating part of this. I have two kids that are younger than 12, nine and 10 years old, and they haven't gone through this whole change yet. But they are definitely different. Like, they are different in the way, like, my daughter is amazingly flexible. She does incredible things in gymnastics. She's a great athlete, uh, but she's an athlete in a totally different way than my son. There's been, you know, this is, 
they are different. If my son decided to gender transition and starts playing women's sports, he would be he would be a dominating force, I I believe. It's just it's like they act as if the only difference between men and male and female are these hormones that hit at age 12. I don't know. I feel like there's there's more to it than that. Yeah, there's much more to it than that. Of course, this has been the unfortunate compromise that these some of these sporting organizations have felt. They've had to split the baby. They've had to keep everybody happy. So they've said, okay, well, we will take this competitive advantage seriously in some sense. So we'll consider um, making there a hormone requirement here, a hormone requirement there. And of course, you have this terrible patchwork of inconsistency where the IOC, the Olympic Committee are, are coming out with one thing, the world swimming governing bodies coming out with something else, the uh, cycling organizations come with something else, and few will actually have the courage to say, okay, you know what, we have categories, we have male and female, Um, if we want, we could even make the male one an open category, or we could have an open category, but we know that women will lose out, they will be displaced if we allow men to compete against them. Mm. Very, very strange, and I feel like it opens up the, the Pandora's box in a bunch of ways we don't want to think about. I mean, like, if we are saying, that a child can make the decision that they are a, a different gender at 10 or 11 or 12 years old. How are we defending age of consent laws across a million different categories? I mean, decisions that are, uh, I think, quite apparently less consequential than an entire surgical change of your gender are based on just legal constraints that we put out there saying, well, you can't do this until this age. How can we defend that when we're applying this massive understanding and maturity to a 12-year-old to make a decision as big as their gender? This is absolutely right. I mean, child psychiatrists have recognized for decades that children are not capable to think in these long-term ways. I mean, a child of six or seven knows, do I want the Eminem or do I want the Starburst? But they they can't think of something as as consequential as changing sex, which in any case you can't do. I mean, let's not forget that a big part of this problem is not merely saying, can children consent to something? It's saying, can children consent to the impossible? You cannot change your sex. I thought Matt Walsh in his documentary, uh, What is a Woman, made this point really well when he was interviewing one doctor who, who does do child transition. And he pointed out, have you ever met a four-year-old who believes in Santa Claus? And she said, yeah. And she said, he said, do you not think this is someone who maybe has a tenuous grasp of reality? And that's exactly right. Of course, it's it's very sweet and endearing that children have a tenuous grasp on reality, but we don't allow them to make these hugely consequential, controversial medical decisions for that reason. Mm. Well, so, Madeline, what's the what is the state of the research right now? I, you know, I, I was reading a story about this, uh, all the stuff going on. I think it was in the New York Times the other day. And the way they present this is it's absolutely uniform that everyone agrees gender affirming care is the best way to go and that it, it, it helps kids. Uh, they, they very rarely ever uh, regret these decisions later on in life. And like, you know, I've seen so much research on the other side of that. Is that just, you know, some some crazy doctor, some quack out there making up research? What is the state? What is the scientific consensus, for lack of a better term? Or is there one? Well, 
do you know it's interesting so the New York Times has of course been uh, promoting gender affirming care in the way you describe but they did publish a piece recently that at least acknowledged there was a debate um, I think these people are in an echo chamber I think that they're surrounded by people who share the same ideological biases that they, they do and for a while they've they've managed to delude themselves that the only people who disagree with them have some bigoted axe to grind now it seems they, they seem to have noticed that there's this really big international clinical debate not just debate among uh, lay people like you and I, but doctors are saying, whoa, 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 what are we doing here? You've seen in Sweden, they've put the brakes on this stuff. In the UK, there's huge pressure to put the brakes on this stuff. Lots of controversy going on there. And so now they're having to respond. And of course, what happens when they're really pushed on these things and asked for explanations is they don't have any. Um, It was interesting that one one doctor who is very big and loud on social media promoting gender affirming care did not have time to speak to the New York Times, didn't have time, he said, to speak to the New York Times for this even slightly sceptical piece. So I think it's catching up with them. Mm. And politically, I think, is a, is, is a different story as well, where there has been this effort for such a long time for the left to sort of uh, embrace every sort of new minority movement to act as if they are the most caring of all the most caring. And they are the ones that are going to bring peace and love and harmony to the world where, you know, the c- conservatives at times get put in a position where it's difficult. You, you might be saying things that make people feel uncomfortable. I don't think anybody wants to come out and make someone who's going through what they believe it to be a, a gender identity issue to make them feel worse about their lives than they might already uh, feel. Yet, like, at some level, Matt Walsh has done this. I think a lot of people, I know you've done it with a lot of your coverage. At some level, you just have to be loyal to the truth and say what you're talking about isn't a real thing. Like, this isn't reality. And at some point, we have to be able to step up as a society, separate from what you might say to, a, to an individual and, and trying to console them and whatever they're going through. But you have to step up as a society and say, look, truth is truth. Medical facts are medical facts. And if we ignore that, we do it at our own detriment. That's absolutely right. Um, it's it's interesting you say about about Matt Walsh as well. I mean, I thought something his his do- documentary did so well is he just exposed um, how the the harms of this aren't even acknowledged. I mean, if it's so shrouded in euphemism, but if you actually talk mention in blunt terms what we're talking about here. We're talking about stunting people's puberties. We're talking about making people infertile. We're talking about causing sexual dysfunction. You know what it's actually similar to? It's actually similar to the late 19th century and early 20th century methods for curing homosexuality, which we now all recognize was wrong, was a scandalous medical malpractice. But this is this is the lobotomies of our era. This is the electroshock therapy of our era. And if we just take away the euphemisms, we can see that clearly. Mm. Madeline Kern, she's a staff writer for National Review, been covering this stuff quite a bit, contributor to The Spectator, also visiting fellow for the Independent Women's Forum. Uh, the, the event is coming up on Thursday. It's the 50th anniversary of the passage of Title IX. And you can follow Maddie on social media to make sure you can get involved in that. Maddie, so much, thanks for, so much for coming on the program. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
If you caught the top of the program tonight, we went over some of the Supreme Court decisions we're expecting to hear in the coming couple of weeks. And if you know anything about the release of these decisions, they're going to happen during the radio show, and then they're going to happen quick, and they're going to happen out of nowhere, and we're not going to know which one's coming in what order. And that's why I'm here for you. I'll be breaking down these decisions and what they mean in real time as they're released. And if you want to be a beneficiary of my endless wisdom... Uh, just just subscribe to the Stu Does America page on YouTube and turn on the channel notifications, the little bell there, and so you can be informed the instant we go live. We like to do this from time to time when something big happens. We like to jump on YouTube, talk it out with you, go through all the important details. We'll, of course, talk about it uh, on the program uh, later on as well, but it's nice to get that instant analysis so you really know what's going on. You can talk to your friends about it quickly afterward. Uh, this country is changing fast, and you don't want to be behind when these big things are happening. Again, it's the Stew Does America YouTube channel. Go there and subscribe right now and enable notifications with a little bell so you can tell when we go live as the Supreme Court publishes these big decisions over the next couple of weeks. You can find all the links you need for this and so much more at stewdoesamerica.com. That's stewdoesamerica.com. We'll see you then. You might be saying to yourself, you know, the Supreme Court is going to come out with some really important decisions over the next couple of weeks, and I'm going to be very excited to see the, the country turning back to the Constitution for once. And then you might have a liberal friend who doesn't feel all that, uh, all that wonderful about what's going on. And that's the thing. The usual suspects, Biden and Pelosi and Schumer, aren't as happy as you might be if these uh, Supreme Court decisions go the conservative direction. They're, they hate that. So they are planning to pack the Supreme Court. They've, a lot of them have talked about it openly. They're trying to get this done. We have to make sure this doesn't occur. Why can't we just have a, 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 a constitutional amendment saying there's nine justices seems really rational to me. Am I wrong on that? I mean, it's, that's what seems really rational to me. We need people who are going to be pushing for, you know, honestly, to make sure that the, the left doesn't try to overwhelm the court. And this is basically a coup of the Supreme Court. First Liberty Institute is there. They've been fighting for you. In fact, a couple of these Supreme Court cases we talked about today, they are like very highly involved in. They're the lawyers for these guys. And they're out there fighting for religious liberty every single day. They're gathering a coalition of a million patriots to say no to court packing, no to the liberal agenda, no to the Supreme Court coup. Go to their website now and sign up. Make sure you get your name on this list, supremecoup.com. That's C-O-U-P, supremecoup.com. Uh, go there now. Sign First Liberty's level, uh, letter. They've got it up there right now for you to sign, supremecoup.com. Check it out. Airline staff shortages are expected to last into 2023, which is wonderful. We're going to have this whole swing up and then everything's going to crash down and then everything's going to go the opposite way. And we're going to keep overcorrecting over and over and over again. But now, even if you want to leave Joe Biden's wonderful country, you're not going to be able to because there's nobody working at the airline. So <laughs> everything's going great. Biden, by the way, is nearing uh, decisions on a gas tax holiday. Now, he's busy falling over on a bicycle. Uh, but as soon as he recovers from that, he'll be able to tell you about his gas tax holiday, which is interesting because I thought, you know, I, the gas tax thing is, look, the, the holiday should last forever. The gas tax should be zero. That's what it should be. And it shouldn't be a holiday. It should be an ongoing um, situation that never changes because it's silly. But they're trying to do that. That would I mean, you know, there's 
it's not going to make a huge difference in your gas prices, but it could help a little bit. Uh, it's obviously a total scheme, though. I mean, when you're doing it temporarily, it's not an actual policy. It's just a, you know, it's it's a it's him saying he wants to do something, just like all this gun stuff. Oh, we got to do something. Well, here's something. Uh, we're going to empty our strategic oil reserves. We're going to harass oil companies. We're going to go kiss Saudi Arabia's ass. All these things are him doing something so far to very little effect. Uh, Dean Norris, by the way, he's an actor on Breaking Bad uh, and also The Shield, I think he was on as well. Uh, he's the guy, you remember him as Hank, perhaps, if you liked Breaking Bad, which I did. Uh, he was uh, excoriating some of his Twitter followers this week who were complaining apparently about high dax, uh, guy, gas prices. He said, you're not getting robbed at the pump. You're paying fair market price for a commodity. If you love capitalism so much, then STFU, which is a shut the F up, in case you didn't know that parlance, which is interesting. First of all, of course, I mean, I'm... What he describes there, I'm actually comfortable with, right? I'm comfortable paying a, paying a fair market price for a commodity. Uh, I'm complaining about gas prices for multiple reasons. As we just discussed, there's a giant tax, about a buck, of, you know, depending on where you are, maybe up to a dollar of your gas price is taxes and other fees associated with just getting it, which is a problem to me. I don't think it should, they should exist at all in that form. Secondarily, you know, when you have a government that, puts all of these policies in place to restrict the supply of gas and oil who say over and over again, we're trying to get rid of this entire industry that actually brings the gas to you. That's what we're complaining about. I don't think anybody's complaining. The only person complaining about the fair market price for the commodity is the left. They're the ones saying, well, these oil companies are just scamming you. I'm not saying the oil companies are scamming me. I'm saying I want this to be open and then they could charge whatever price they can get away with, right? This is a this is a free market and I'm comfortable with gas station A putting up a price that's 30 cents more than gas station B. Let's see how that works out for gas station A. My guess, not that well. But it's like, let me put it this way. If you happen to have uh, a, a government that was set up and put all sorts of restrictions on the television and film industry and said, well, you can't produce you know, a thousand shows per year, you can only produce five. And uh, if you don't star in one of those five, well then guess what, Hank, uh, from Breaking Bad, you didn't get Breaking Bad, some other better actor got it, and now you're working at a gas station pumping very expensive gas. That's how this works out when they manipulate markets. If it was a free market, conservatives would be fine paying it. But it's not, so we're not. Uh, so I lead with my mistakes here. We had we were talking about Dean Norris uh, last segment, and he was on Breaking Bad. And I mistakenly said I thought he might have been on The Shield, too. That was actually not on The Shield. He was on Under the Dome, Dean Norris. I got my fat, white, bald guys confused. Of course, the guy who was actually on The Shield is Curly. Uh, so... So apologies for that error. Uh, okay, let's go to reviews. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. The name says it all. Informative, funny, such a great show. Can't say I've ever been disappointed with any show on The Blaze. Thank you for making sure to give us great information to combat all the craziness in this country. Thank you so much. Damien writes in on YouTube. By the way, go to YouTube and subscribe. Click like. Don't forget, Damien says, uh, algorithmic engagement comment. I listen on Spotify daily, but at the end of every podcast, I come to YouTube, fast forward to when you say you like uh, to, to hit like now, and then hit like on the same episode number as I just listened to. I definitely love your content and definitely need more, much more stew time. That is, that's above and beyond. We need more people like Damien. 
Okay, if we had more people like Damien, we would be we would have taken over the world by now. I would have already built the space laser. We'd be, I mean, it would be incredible. We should just, yeah, it's incredible. Uh, an appropriate five frigging stars on YouTube. I appreciate that. Doesn't necessarily affect our podcast ratings, but I do like when you do it anyway. Uh, Cowgirl writes, listening from Canada. Go Blue Jays, America's team. Thank you so much. And uh, love from India. Uh, go Indians. Uh, America's team. And India's team, you know, that, those are the people who really got screwed when they changed the name from Cleveland Guardians or to Cleveland Guardians from Cleveland Indians. The people in India who were like, hey, we don't have a franchise in New Delhi. We needed to be Indians fans. And now no one cares about us anymore. And that's the way it works here. They just don't care about you, America. They're busy falling off their bicycles. How can they possibly take time to care about you? We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>